0: what's up everybody Wednesday night it's the orange and black insider Bengals podcast coming at you I'm Anthony Cazenza joined as always by John the man Sharon. John what's going on buddy how's your week going
1: pretty good man um the thing I love about the NBA is that like you have the NBA finals and then a week later is free agency and it's always like really fun it's right next to each other kind of getting used to that with the NFL (laughs) March (laughs) it's crazy yeah
0: yeah we're uh Man, we're used to the couple month rev up, right, of, of free agency, of the draft and all that kind of stuff based on where the Bengals season is traditionally, at least in recent years, ended. And that's not the case right now. Not the case right now. So uh, we're still I see Shane in the uh, live YouTube chat there says he's he's done morning. I don't know if I'm done morning about the Super Bowl loss, but uh, I, we're starting to move on. We're starting to get into different things. We've got a lot on tap for you tonight. We have, uh, we're going to talk about some of the, all of the things that are being said by Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor and company at the Combine in Indianapolis. Uh, that is kind of back to normal, at least a little bit, it seems, that event and will be obviously the times and the results of all kinds of things will be coming more later this week. But we, there's a lot of interesting tidbits of information. John and I will kind of dissect some of the things that were said this week. And then, of course... We have a State Your Case. We haven't done one of those in a little while. We got a State Your Case, so we'll get to that. We have, we're going to start, we, we kept teasing you. We We have a free agency profile for you and a draft prospect profile for you. We're going to get to all of that and maybe a little more. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how time goes, but we've got a, a jam-packed show. Hopefully, you will enjoy it. Happy to have all of you live listeners with us and happy to have those who are listening after the fact. Thank you for listening to our program, part of the Cincy Joker podcast channel, along with Ace and Zims, or just the New Black, and Coach Speak and Chalk Talk by Matt Minnick, all part of the SB Nation channel of podcasts, program of podcasts. So appreciate you keeping us in the rotation there for your Bengals news and analysis. Well, John, which uh, which coach do you want to start with first, or which figurehead do you want to start with first here? Zach Taylor had some interesting comments. Frank Pollock had some interesting comments on Wednesday. Duke Tobin had some interesting comments. Um, I, I, where would you like to start? Do you want to go top, bottom, bottom, top? I, I don't know.
1: Well, you know, Duke Tobin only speaks so many times throughout the year. I feel like we got to start with him. Everything that's going to happen in the next month probably revolves around what he wants and what he, what he says. So yeah, let's start with him.
0: Okay. So, Duke Tobin was kind of in front of the media and one of the interesting things, this was on Tuesday, one of the interesting things he had said uh, is that the Bengals will explore anything or do anything to potentially rehab the offensive line and get it into a better state than it has been, and then it was last year when we saw Joe Burrow take a massive amount of sacks, hits, etc. Even talking free agency trades and the draft, does him being that candid about it, does that surprise you at all? Or do you think this is just kind of, yeah, he was going to say this kind of thing when he got in front of everybody?
1: You know, I don't really spend a lot of time predicting what he's going to say, but I think everyone... At this point, if you're like a conscious human being who's also a Bengals fan, you know that this is just more or less substance-less information that they're saying because they're just going through the motions. Like he's just saying like the most classic things and nothing really ever changes with what he says. Um, I think (laughs) if I were to really sit down and say, what would Duke Tobin say, knowing that he's going to get asked about the offensive line? Of course, I would say the same exact thing as he did. And he said they were a top 10 offense or I'm going to use... We, because he's talking about the Bengals, we were a top 10 offense. We had a 4,000-yard quarterback. We had 2,000-yard receivers, a 1,000-yard running back. We made it to the Super Bowl with that offensive line. So, yeah, the 70 sacks is a huge number that has to be improved upon, but he wasn't going to go up there and say, yeah, the offensive line just wasn't wasn't good. We didn't have the the, the right players there. He's not going to throw those guys under the bus because he's ultimately going to be trying to sign – better guys to fill out the offensive line, but he doesn't want to have that reputation of saying, hey, if you're not good enough, I'm going to just bad mouth you in front of reporters at the combine. But of course, that's what every fan wants Duke Tobin to say. They want him to be as candid and as honest as possible because that's substance. And you can translate that substance into future actions, but the future actions are going to come no matter what he says. What he, what he was going to say, though, wasn't going to really mean a whole lot of anything. Ultimately, he built a team that made it to the Super Bowl and despite that offensive line like that 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 is still the reality that's still the truth so every single year they want to get better and they know that the offensive line is not good but i really don't feel like what he said really means a whole lot in the whole grand scheme of things he was just kind of defending the the process and the personnel that got him there but he knows that at least two of those spots have to be improved upon
0: yeah, I don't I don't think yeah, it's not really the place the time or the place for him to potentially throw somebody under the bus or say this per you know call out individuals and whatnot, but I think everybody in that building knows that it needs to be better, it needs to get better. And really that was kind of I mean there were a lot of elements that you could point to in the Bengals loss in Super Bowl 56, but I mean that was really the major area that was the difference and uh, especially in the second half of that football game. So yeah i mean i i I wasn't surprised really with what he had to say. Uh, I guess the thing that surprised me a little bit was just kind of mentioning all possibilities the trade you know it's not just usually this time of year, it's free agency in the draft and with this team, it's free agency in the draft and draft and develop and all of that. um the fact that trade uh was was put out there a little bit seemed to be or or all options, including trades, where it was put out there was interesting to me because n- number 1 i mean there's going to be a limited number of quality offensive linemen in the free agency market we know that because there's just a limited amount of quality offensive linemen in the league right now and you know there there are players out there that could be franchise tagged before we know it and all kinds of different things so we'll see what happens but um i you know obviously when you're talking trade the Tunsil name is out there and a couple of others you know, I think Makai Becton maybe is is one that some people are talking about as well. I don't know. Did the did the trade aspect specifically kind of go make you blink a little bit, <laughs> uh, a little bit uh, harder than I guess you would have otherwise?
1: Not particularly. I know that people really ran with it, but I think I believe the direct quote was maybe. <laughs> I think it was yeah, yeah. one word response yeah. and. Yeah they have done it before like Cordy Glenn exists. I know people try to not remember Cordy Glenn, but he was traded for and they found a deal and he had a contract that they were comfortable taking on. And the bills agreed to a deal that they were comfortable with. And it wasn't just them giving up a first round pick for a a guy who was proven in Glenn. No, they made it work with that deal and they were comfortable with the financials. And if a similar situation pops up, a veteran tackle, a guy who's proven, a guy who still has some presumably left in the tank, and they're not in a position or they're not being asked to give up just on their end draft capital without getting any back, then yeah, that is a possibility. And I think also, like you mentioned, the tackle market, at least this year, is not promising as of right now. And again, we should always reiterate that guys are going to be available more. More guys are going to be available than we think because naturally guys are going to get cut. Maybe not to the extent like last year because teams had to deal with a, a decreasing salary cap due to covid but there's always going to be a at least a minor influx of talent that we don't expect because some guys are just they've just played their last snaps there and they're going to be cap casualties like the bengals could have they're going to have cap casualties too and those guys are going to be available even though maybe some teams don't expect it so until that is known they're looking at the available options aside from armstead it's not really it's there's not a, a lot of elite talent there. There's guys like Morgan Moses, but he's on the other side of 30. There's not that prototypical free agent that they would be comfortable signing in his mid to late 20s who is a quality starter at this point. Those guys are it's very rare for those guys to be on the market anyways. If you have good offensive tackles, you retain them because it's so difficult to find quality offensive linemen in general. So, I think knowing that, the fact that the market is not very deep at that position, that's a position that they're going to want to find an upgrade in, the, in all likelihood in the case that Riley Reef does not come back, then yeah, I think they would be open and be at least willing to listen to trade offers should an offer that they're comfortable with comes their way.
0: Well, that's yeah, we'll see if they actually explore that. And like you said, it's, it's going to be it will be. Surprising if the Bengals end up kind of doing a massive, massive trade there, or you know, a pick for player type of situation, like we talked about last week. That's just not really the norm necessarily for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now let's let's go to. Um, I, I want to shoot over to Frank Pollock today because he and Brian Callahan kind of talked about some things. Let's start with their their praise a bit. Of Jackson Carmen, they said they the, the maturation in, throughout his rookie year was noticeable. And they feel good about where he may be in the mix. They didn't obviously assert him as a starter at the NFL combine but they feel good about where he is at entering year two. the progress that he made throughout his rookie year. I, I, I would, you know, I know a lot of people were like, oh, boy, why, you know, why did they have to go there? Number one, they're going to support their second round pick from last year. And number two, because he was a second round pick of, from last year, they ain't going to bail on him already. I mean, they're going to they're going to see what they got out of that player for sure.
1: 100%. Like with, with Carmen, I, th- I think Paul DeJune put this pretty well, too. The fact that they drafted like three offensive linemen last year is very similar to. When they drafted three linebackers two years ago, and Wilson, the King Davis, Gather, Marcus Bailey, I, I know that the, the track record stinks with offensive linemen in the draft. You have to think at least one guy is going to hit, right? And with Carmen, they're going to give him the most chances because of his draft status and whatnot. But also, again, we talked about this last week. They're, they're not going to end this off season with a completely new offensive line in terms of like four veteran additions from other teams, like there is going to be one spot that they're going to rely on a guy in their own system developing. And Carmen is probably the best bet right now because he's going to get those first chances because of draft status, because he played the most compared to Deontay Smith and Trey Hill. And they need him the most, probably too. like guard is still that position that no one can assume or trust the Bengals to actually invest in that spot. And you have to think if it's going to work out, it's going to be one of those guys developing kind of taking the reins taking control of that spot after hopefully a promising off season. And obviously there's the case of offensive lineman developing after year one and going into year two, the fact that Carmen's still only 22 years old and he has playing experience that bodes well for him in theory, but it, it it's not a given, right? It's just, it's all projection and projection is very scary when you're dealing with a team that f- fails time and time again at developing players at this spot. So, Unfortunately, like we said last week, it's going to be one of these spots is going to be up to a young guy taking control and, and hopefully maximizing his potential as soon as possible because they're not, going to ha- they're not going to be willing to go out and fill all these spots with veteran guys. Like maybe one of them is a high draft pick, right? Maybe he comes in and competes with, with a Carmen. They have three offensive line coaches. One of them should be focused on pure development in terms of technique and stuff like that. Like Carmen is the best bet because of all of those factors. And it makes perfect sense why they want to support him now but once obviously the pads are on and practice begins like it's it's go time you gotta shut up
0: yeah and it would seem that left guard potential i mean i know there, there's an opening at right guard but uh, it would seem that maybe left guard is is one of the possible plans with with jackson carmen it would not seem at this point in time that tackle is in their plans it just seems like they want him in the inside at one of those guard spots Another interesting quote. Uh, I wish we had the article. Th- I think we're putting all these articles up on Cincy Jungle. But another interesting quote that Frank Pollock put out there is he wants leaders and he wants glass eaters. Um, <laughs> so so you've you've got you know Paul Alexander, his predecessor from his first stint with the you know with the Bengals, talking about the whole you know is the whole ketchup thing, right? Uh, and then you've got now Frank Pollock putting out this gem of a quote about wanting glass eaters, obviously talking about the nastiness and just guys who want to get in there and mix it up. I, I assume that's kind of what he was talking about with that. But they want to add some nastiness to the line for sure.
1: Yeah, offensive line coaches, they're they're, they're fun. They're fun guys to be around with. They know how to party. But it, it was interesting with what Pollock said about, I think James Rapine asked him, "Like, what do you look for in an offensive lineman when you're signing a guy or, or adding a guy? Listed all the qualities like athleticism, the ability to, to anchor, the ability to get to the second level. You know, you got to be quick and everything. And all of that is that is nice. But I, th- I feel like, like we collectively, we, we attach those quotes too often to then expectations. And then we're thinking, OK, which available free agents fits that description, right? The, the athletic guys who are also strong and can, and can fit schematically with what the Bengals want to do. We cross out names that don't fit. And then we highlight names who do fit. And they're like, okay, this is probably the guys that that they're going to target. And then they never end up signing those guys because those guys, the guys that Pollock just described, they're the guys that get paid the most. If the the biggest, most athletic guys who can do the most things as an offensive lineman, they get the big bucks. They get the big deals that unfortunately the Bengals don't like to give out. So then the Mm -hmm. Bengals, in in some cases, they end up signing guys who you're thinking, yeah, they're not really scheme fits. They're not really the, the guys that fit the descriptions per what the coaches said that they want because it's never at the end of the day it doesn't always come down to scheme fit it just comes down to money you got to buy these players and i think a lot of those quotes that the coaches say it matters more from the draft because you don't have to buy draft prospects you just have to hope that they fall to the that spot and you can find a lot more of those guys in the draft in the later rounds because there's just a lot more that come out the, the guys who are proven they have shown that they can do it at the nfl level they are the most highly coveted guys and unfortunately the bengals that they don't spend a lot of money at that position and if they do it'll be different this year if that's the case but it's it, a lot of those quotes just don't have a lot of meaning in, in in the free agency game because unfortunately it's just a money thing
0: so i mean callahan kind of echoed the the jackson carmen uh situation what what about zach taylor and some of the things he said it was on tuesday he had not only just kind of a general media media session but also kind of a one-on-one sit down from with andrew siciliano of the nfl network and i mean obviously a lot to take away there it seemed to me uh just kind of one of the major takeaways and rightfully so i guess i'm being you know just kind of obvious about this but It seems to me that Zach Taylor is still very confident as to where this team is and the fact that they, yes, they had an opportunity, obviously, to win the Super Bowl. They were very close in doing so this last year, but he's not anticipating a hangover. He's not anticipating this team sitting on its hands and resting on its laurels. He's thinking that uh, there's going to be maybe a little bit of aggressiveness and they're going to build upon what they've got. Through all of these avenues we've discussed, that was kind of one of the takeaways I had. I don't know if there's some gems from him that you kind of hung on to and said, "Hey, that was kind of interesting from the head coach."
1: Yeah, I did not see that interview with Siciliano, but I did like hear most of his comments. And I think uh, Tobin said something along these lines too, like, "This is div- Cincinnati, the, the, the team itself is developing into a place where, like, hopefully, other guys from other teams want to come here." And of course, that that doesn't always work out for guys who are looking for their first contracts, but the guys who are looking for their second or third contracts, the guys who mm-hmm. are already established and just want a chance to fit in to a great locker room and have a chance to compete for championships. They both are in sync and feeling that this place is now becoming that, if not has already become that. And Taylor should feel confident in that. Like this is in his third year, he took the Bengals to a place that Sam Weiss was the last guy to take him this far. You know, he's got the, the confidence and the faith, from the organization, they extended him for five years. He's here for the long term. He wants to be here. He's just a really good guy, honestly. Like every time he talks about the city of Cincinnati, I think everybody in the city kind of backs what he says because he just seems like a really genuine person when it comes to that type of stuff. And really, like the things that he says, is, is really candid. I, I think I got an email actually, Anthony, from someone who I don't know how this research is accumulated, but apparently Zach Taylor ranks first among all head coaches in unique words per minute, like 350 <laughs> per minute, which, which means like he's the guy who's saying the least amount of classic tropes and cliches. Yeah. That he's just not a like, coach speak guy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of it ends up being useless sound and that's not the case with Zach. I don't know what, where this tangent's going. Uh, essentially. I, I think he realizes that they've established a culture in a locker room that is set based off what the what they did in the past two years and they were so aggro and filling out the roster and filling out the leadership roles that now they have a a much better pace than what he had starting and now it's just about adding the finishing touches and there's still work that needs to be done at one position group that we already talked about but this free agency might be different where you're not looking for the, the guys that are going to galvanize everybody we're, we're going to complete uh units on both sides of the ball now it's just finding the finishing touches with enough capital to do so, but it might be a little bit different. It might not be as aggressive and as fruitful in, in spending as they have in the past couple of years.
0: Yeah. And that was a great point you brought up about the, the free agency destination. I think that was a quote from Tobin about in particular about Trey Hendrickson, you know, he he kind of pinpointed the Bengals in free agency as a place that he wanted to go to. And, and obviously the contract was, was appealing Um, but I think you know that's he's kind of pointing to that as saying you know based on where things were headed last year the result of the season this past season hopefully this is all going to be bearing fruit for this free agency period once again where guys are going to say this is a destination I want to go to wherein it hasn't really been the case for Cincinnati in the past Um, outside of the combine John and there's a couple other pieces of information that we will we want to kind of go over before we get to the state your case there. Mr. Whisper with the generous uh, super <laughs> chat. What do you make of what Pac-Man said about Jensen? Now, I, I talked about this on the Happening Headlines combine preview, day one preview type of thing yesterday. So I've kind of given my thoughts a little bit. And if you haven't listened to it, I don't know why you haven't. You got to go listen to it. But basically, I kind of had two schools of thought in terms of it was either... Yeah, he's got some inside information, and he's relaying that. Or he was kind of looking at a PFF article based on the numbers that he put out there and just kind of reciting that as that's something that's going to happen. Or maybe there's a bridging of those two. I would love, love, love to get your thoughts on that, John.
1: <laughs> um, He was 100% looking at the PFF projection. You think so? He read, word for word, three years, $39 million. He yeah, didn't say the guaranteed amount, but that is literally the projection on PFF.com for their top 50 free agent um, free agents and their projected destinations. That being said, I, I, I'm i not going to outright dismiss the possibility of Adam Jones having a connection inside the Bengals. There's still the connection with Mike Brown, who has always been infatuated with, with Pac-Man. I, I think that there's an avenue where he could have learned this information or at least something to that extent about interest between Jensen and the Bengals. No one here is naive enough to think that, Oh, they can't be negotiating or, or you know, exchanging terms and whatnot with free agents. That's against tampering. That, that's tampering. That's against the, the law. Like they give me like guys, Carson Wentz was traded in February last year. Matthew Stafford was put, traded in January. These things are happening. These discussions are happening. Agents are getting, details about what the potential markets for their clients are going to be people within the organization's talk nothing that is obviously official I don't think there is an actual offer for Ryan Jensen to basically sign in a a week and a half's time when legal tampering begins but I think that there could be mutual interest between people within the Bengals organization and people in in Ryan Jensen's camp Jensen is obviously looking for one last contract he's looking for a place where he can potentially win Tom Brady's no longer in Tampa Bay, so that is just kaput. He's going to look for another opportunity. I think Ryan Jensen makes sense, especially if he's not looking for guaranteed salaries in his final contract here. But there is not an offer for Ryan Jensen to sign right now, even if he could. Like that 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 doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, no, I I don't I don't agree. I, I, I agree with you in the fact that there is not. I just I don't I don't know how much of an inside track Pac-Man has in this current Bengals regime. I know I as I relayed on this um on the show yesterday, you know, I, I met him week one and actually chatted with him at Jeff Ruby's for quite some time and he is very, very passionate and very Still is very into the Cincinnati Bengals. Really, really wants them to do well, and and really pulls for them. Obviously, covers them and does a good job with Solomon Wilcotts on the Believe in Bengals podcast, along with my co-host John Sheeran and the boys, Doctor Hoji and Daddy-O yeah. McDuke. So, um, but you know, I know, I know he, I know he's got some inside there. Obviously, being a former player, he knows some people in the building and whatnot. But uh, I don't know how how much of an insight he's got. And again, just the thing that kind of pops out to me, you said it, is that the exact three-year deal, $39 million, was kind of like, uh, the quote was, I got some news for you. A little birdie said that we're going to sign Ryan Jensen to a three-year $39 million deal, which would be a starting center. I hope it goes through. It sounds like the little birdie is saying it's almost a done deal. So is the little birdie the PFF article or is, is the little birdie someone inside the Bengals organization is a little bit of both. We don't know, but it was interesting Nonetheless. Maybe
1: PFF uh, is getting their information from the same source. You know, there you go. Maybe there's some insider trading going on. I don't know. Yep, there you connecting. go.
0: It's all connecting. I, I like it. Before we get to uh, the state your case in which my boy John is going to spearhead, there was one other piece, and I don't want to go too deep into it, John, because we talked a lot about it last Wednesday. But there was an article that we put up on CincyJungle.com uh regarding jesse bates and it sounds like things are obviously and, and predictably going to start heating up over the next couple of days with the franchise tag deadline looming but there's going to be more talk and one of the quotes that duke tobin said at the combine was we we know what the fans want the fans want him here and we would like him back as well but it sounds like i think this article i will i will share this here for those watching the video Um, This was shared this morning on Wednesday morning, basically talking about how the contract negotiations could be gaining steam in the next couple of days. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There it is from Nathan Begley. So what what do you think, John? You think this is going... I think this was from Kelsey Conway of the Inquirer here. There's a uh, a quote from Duke Tobin saying, I'm not going to break any news today on that. That's something we'll decide here in the next few days. As far as Jesse Bates, he's an important part of our team. We drafted him. He's a guy that developed and has played well, that has a real role in our team in a lot of different areas, particularly in leadership and playmaking skill. He's a guy we want going forward. We want him to be a part of our group. So we'll see what we can do to get that done.
1: Oh, man you could replace Jesse Bates's name with a lot of other former Bengals or current Bengals, and it's the same exact thing. It's draft, develop, retain. And in some cases, it's not retain for all the same reasons. Money. I, I'm not saying that these words don't mean anything, but the one consistent constant, it comes down to do these guys that they value in this sense – are they willing to take the contracts that we like to offer? And if not, they will find something that will give them more real money. It will give them a higher signing bonus. There will give them actual guaranteed salaries instead of just roster bonuses in the first couple of years. With Jesse Bates, and this is honestly transitioning into what well, my state your case was going to be. It just seems like franchise tag is just more and more increasingly becoming the reality here, because you just look at what other top safeties are making and what their contracts are. And there are ways that the Bengals can make it similar to the Justin Simmons and the Jamal Adamses of the world, but those contracts, they don't look like the contracts that the Bengals give out. And those words, you know, Jesse Bates is great. He's the perfect example of what we do sign him. Why aren't you going to sign him? Because he knows that he can get a better, more favorable offer someplace else, or at least his agent knows that they're not going to change as far as we know and honestly like my state your case was going to be like Jesse Bates and how that whole situation kind of pans out I think it will tell us a lot about how the Bengals have actually changed if they changed anything at all because I think the only way that he gets extended long term before the franchise tag window expires is that they're willing to give him a contract that they haven't normally or ever traditionally given I think there's going to be some type of a stalemate because they're not going to give him the, the guaranteed money that he wants, then they're going to tag him and then they're going to use the next four months to try to negotiate something for, for long term. But if that doesn't happen, I think that kind of tells us all we need to know about how much they actually actually haven't really changed at all. Because people are so enamored with the fact that, oh, they've been aggressive in the past two years. They definitely changed the contracts. Again, the contracts that they've offered and given out to some of these free agents. They're not any different than the contracts that they've given out former play or players of their own. And if Jesse Bates is, is different in their minds, then they would give him a different type of a contract. But if they haven't given it now, I'm not sure that they, that, they end up, that they will end up doing so in the first place. So the words are nice, but they're not any different than what we've seen in the past. And the only time that those words turn into actions is if they involve players that are willing to take the deals that they give.
0: Did I, did I miss the cue to, to do the little state your case? Cut well, you know,
1: I didn't, I know, I didn't know you were going to Bates there, and uh, so, <laughs> you know,
0: yeah, uh, yeah no, it was, uh, you're, you're right, though. I mean, this is, it's the, the fact of the matter is, these past few off seasons, and kind of to your point about what they're going to do with this situation with Jesse Bates. The fact of the matter is, the Bengals in free agency, and they've slowly gotten out of their comfort zone the past couple of years in some ways that to your point they're going to need to get out of their comfort zone again here if they want to retain this player and the message either becomes hollow within that locker room to some degree or it uh resonates based on what they do in keeping Jesse Bates when you w- it, you when you say draft and develop and when you say we want to keep our core players and that's the message you're sending to that locker room and you've got Mike Hilton lobbying to keep Jesse Bates. You've got other players lobbying to keep him. I mean, I, I think we all think the franchise tag is probably coming. Um, I mean, unless there's some sort of surprise either way, I think the franchise tag is what we're thinking of coming is coming here. But if you don't, whether it's long-term or for some reason you don't franchise tag the player, if you don't do either of those, I think your message rings kind of hollow, in that, in that locker room. And it's a locker room that, you you know, is really galvanized and really come together under, under Zach Taylor and players notice this kind of thing. So, you know, I, I just, I feel like if you're going to say these types of things, like you said, if you're going to have that kind of record on repeat, you you got to kind of come through with it. And it may take them coming out of their comfort zone in some, in some ways to get this deal done. If it's a long-term deal.
1: Yeah, and no one should feel duped or stupid for believing that this deal should have been inevitable. Like It makes perfect sense why the Bengals would want to... He was their first All-Pro nom- nominee in like six years. Like it, it mm-hmm. He's a rare talent, and he came off a phenomenal 2020 season. And I, I suppose the reasoning as to why they weren't comfortable with giving him an extension in the last offseason is because he only did it one time, and they wanted him to do it again. They wanted to see that level of production sustained itself over the course of another season. Then he kind of had a down year this year, but he obviously proved his worth in the most important games. and he had a phenomenal Super Bowl. Like he could have been Super Bowl MVP had they won. So in their mind, I think they see Jesse Bates as this truly elite safety. And it's just a matter of how how do they value that? Do they value that any differently than what they did back in the summer? And if that's the case, Then maybe they can come to a deal, but if not, if they're not if they're not going to budge on this, then yeah, they can say whatever they want about Jesse Bates, the person, the player. But money talks, and ultimately the deal is probably going to have to look different than what they've traditionally offered. But I could be wrong. I I could eat my words here. The next in the next week and a half, and he could take a deal that they're comfortable with, and he could potentially be sacrificing tens of millions of guaranteed salaries in the in the process because the other other top safeties have taken those types of deals. And I could be completely wrong, but at this point, I don't feel like I'm going to be.
0: By by a different deal than they are accustomed to, I just want to be clear, you're you're talking about the guaranteed money aspect. Uh, yes. Or, or is it paying that position or kind of just all of these little nuances that we're talking about?
1: I don't think it's it's necessarily the position. Like I, I think there's similarities in regards to like safety and guard in their mind. Like you could just look at the top contracts that they've given out. Like Clint Bowling is still their highest paid guard in history, like five years or five million per year. Georgia Loco got like five million a year. I think Reggie Nelson got something similar. So there are similarities, but the contract just the average annual value, the total money it's very much in line to what Trey Hendrickson got it's very much in line to what Geno Atkins and AJ Green got it's in that 15 16 million dollar range and I think that is a number that they're comfortable with but again it's how you get to that number right it's how much of those millions are legit how much does he is he going to get and this is it's such an antiquated thing like they're, they're not going to cut him the, the salaries might as well be guaranteed and I just don't understand why they don't do it it doesn't make any sense
0: yeah yeah I mean especially when you see a lot of teams just structuring things that way. But, you know, I know there's a lot, there's probably an underlying eye roll and chuckle that comes with what, I, as a response to what I'm going to say here, but I mean, the Bengals are never ever in salary cap trouble. And there, there's a reason for that. And when you see teams get in salary cap trouble, it can be cumbersome to get out of that for years, not just one year. And all of a sudden you're, you're saying goodbye to some quality players that you don't really want to see leave so you know I, the Bengals, to their credit i i know some people will probably use a different term for it but they are they are never in salary cap hell uh and, and there's a reason for that but this is the time now when your star quarterback is on his rookie contract your star wide receivers are on their rookie contracts you you need to maximize some of the capital and you need to probably shell out some some money that you are not accustomed to shelling out because you are set up well for the next few years both as a roster talent standpoint but also uh from a from a financial and salary cap standpoint
1: pretty much and if they are going to franchise tag him there's an assumption to be to be made that that's going to be slightly more expensive from a salary cap perspective Compared to if the, if they extend it. I I think in the past couple of years they've they haven't really front loaded their deals like they did with Geno and Dunlap. They've they haven't really back loaded them either. But the, the first year cap hits are typically a little bit smaller compared to the cap hits for the remainder of the deals, and a little bit less than the average annual value value ends up to be. So the projected franchise tag for a safety is about thirteen million, and the projected cap space that they could save by cutting. Trey Waynes, Trey Hopkins is about 16. So they Mm -hmm. can, in theory, just pay Jesse Bates in terms of the cap by just eliminating two of the guys that they are most likely to cut. But it's not really going to give them a lot more flexibility in comparison if if they just extended them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anything else on your state, your case, to put a bow on it with Jesse Bates? I know that is the hot topic, and we're going to have some form of a resolution to it. Uh, good, bad, or otherwise, in uh, about a couple of weeks here, if not sooner. But um, I don't know. Uh, What what, what kind of bow you want to wrap on this thing?
1: Well, we can just call our shots now because I think the deadline is in in exactly a week. So I think that by the next time we do this show, there will be a decision to be made on Jesse Bates. So I'm going to say that he does get tagged, and it's possible that he gets extended before the July 15th deadline, but I don't think he gets extended within the next week. What do you got?
0: I think I think franchise tag, and I think this is going to drag out. And unfortunately, this—I hate to be pessimistic—but um, I think this is going to drag out. I don't know that they're going to get something done in the summer. I think this is just going to be out of their wheelhouse a little too much, unless Bates does—you know—it does them a little bit of a favor, or the Bengals somehow crawl out, out of it. But I think we're going to be in the same boat next year. And uh, obviously, I don't think franchise tag two years in a row is going <laughs> to—it's going to be a thing for for Bates. So um, I I just. I'd like to see them extend him, but I see uh, I see a franchise tag with maybe some some issues with contract negotiations going forward. Personally,
1: yeah, and I think and Bates is on record for saying he doesn't want to be tagged. Like every mm-hmm. player, rightfully wouldn't want to be tagged. There's, there's no long term security there, but like I don't think he's going to hold out or not play no. under the tag. That, that's still 13 million that he can make. It's just that. He may not show up for workouts and whatnot. And if that's the case, then that's fine. That's completely within his right in order to preserve his body and to maybe increase his leverage for negotiations over the summer. So whatever he does, you know, fans should support him. He's a phenomenal person. He's a phenomenal player, and he deserves every single million that he will eventually make.
0: Yep. Everybody wants it back. And I don't think, I mean, I, I used to be the guy that used to be you know frowned down a little bit on these guys that don't show up for workouts on the franchise tag or what have you. But when you think about long-term stuff and how quickly your career can change, even in an injury, in a practice, a useless practice, um, you kind of see why some of these guys do the things that they do to protect themselves, especially for the long-term, but good stuff with Jesse Bates on the state, your case. And now I've got the clip for you, John. All right. Moving on. Let's uh, get to – before. actually, before we get to our free agency profile and the draft prospect profile, I want to just remind folks, I didn't say this at the get-go, but uh, if you are looking to subscribe to what we do either on this specific channel or the Cincy Jungle podcast channel – there is an icon underneath John, underneath that Cincy Jungle logo down there at the bottom. If you're watching the YouTube video, you can click on that icon to subscribe and hit the bell and be notified when we go live, when new content is available for you to digest. And we're going to be bringing you all kinds of different stuff. So I would recommend you maybe do that if you like what we do and uh, appreciate all of you who not only tune in live, but... Your generosity with the super chats and whatnot on YouTube. That is awesome. And of course, if you like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, we stream live there. We stream live on a number of different Twitter accounts. So if you're on Twitter and you're catching us there, awesome. And then, of course, the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, which has the three shows within the Cincy Jungle network. You can get that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major audio streamers. We are there. Subscribe to that and get all of that content as soon as it is uploaded and ready for you to stream. And we, as always, thank you for your support. Well, speaking of support and generosity, Sox here provides us not only with a generous super chat, but also uh, a nice segue in terms of free agency is driving me nuts. I can't even do a mock draft for three more weeks. Do you see the Bengals signing one, maybe two mid-tier upgrades on the uh interior of the offensive line well interior is one thing offensive line in general is another and John one of the positions we kind of talked about this over the past few weeks I you know where the Bengals will spend money in free agency more than likely or have uh, will be more apt to spend a little bit more is at the tackle position and obviously right tackle is in flux We talked about Riley Reef maybe coming back in a one-year bridge deal. There's a couple of other options. And that is where – thank you again, Sox, for the generosity there. That is where our free agency profile will start here. And the player I'm going to share is up there in age. You actually uh, mentioned him not too long ago at the beginning of the show, John. And that is Morgan Moses. Uh, Morgan Moses is a guy who was formerly with Washington, had a a couple of nice years there, and had a a, a bridge year with the Jets here in 21. He actually was not going to start for the team, really. George Fant was going to be the right tackle, uh, starting right tackle. And then you've got uh, Mekhi Becton. Becton gets hurt in the first game, and lo and behold, then they put Fant to left tackle, And uh, you've got Moses over at right tackle, and he played pretty well. You see the PFF score there, 71 overall for the year. He's entering his ninth ninth season, though, John, and to your point, he is – I think he's currently 31 years old. So we've got – here's here's the pros, you know, positional need, uh, experience, and he's been a solid pro throughout his career for the most part. Maybe relatively affordable because he took a rental deal last year and he's up there in age. Uh, scheme fit with the zone the wide zone that's what they ran last year and then of course you're talking about the the age and short term being a con um, you know he had an injury that they thought may have required surgery but did not in the season finale so that's good so I mean there's there's some pros and cons with him I, I think he would be a, a little bit if we're talking short term with the uh, if we're talking short term, with Riley Reef being the guy at right tackle, this is a guy who, yes, could be short-term, but may still be a little bit longer-term of, of, of a solution. Would not be a Pro Bowl guy, but also may not break the bank and I think could be a guy you lean on for a couple of years, and that gives you some draft flexibility potentially. If he's hovering around the 70s in the PFF range, that brings you, uh, you know, a solid presence not anything that moves the needle huge, but I think in terms of realistic Bengals signing, I don't think the Jets are going to be franchise tagging him. I I mean, there's a possibility of that. They could look to re-sign him. That's the other thing. He, He did like his time in New York, things I've read about him and quotes he had throughout the season. He liked his time there and he really, even though the season went awry for them, but he is a guy that I think could be not necessarily a one-year option for the Bengals, but maybe a two-year option. Maybe maybe three if he stays healthy, but could give you some major draft flexibility and uh, maybe not break the bank so you can use free agency money elsewhere, Jesse Bates, etc.
1: Yeah, and I think, for starters, scheme fit 100%. It's kind of interesting how he just missed um, Frank Pollock because the Jets signed him yeah. and then Pollock and then left for the Cincinnati. But before, like you said, he was with Washington. Bill Callahan was Washington's offensive line coach for many years there. And they ran uh, Kyle Shanahan's offense, too. So Moses is familiar with wide zone and just zone blocking in general. I think, I mean, being 6'6", 330, he still moves Dude. pretty pretty decently and can still uh, execute a lot of those blocks and get out into space. Being he's I think tomorrow... If you're listening, if you're watching this live Wednesday night, tomorrow is Morgan Moses' 31st birthday. There you go. Yeah. So he's one year younger than Riley Reef when Reef signed with the Bengals. And honestly, I just look at Moses as a slightly younger Riley Reef, to be honest with you. I think it's consistency, it's stability, and it's also predictability in what you're going to get with him. It's really fascinating to see just his production as a pass protector. You go to PFF, like I, I will list off, the sacks that he's allowed in true pass sets, totaling like just season by season, going from most recent to his rookie season. Here we go: three, four, 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 five, three. What you see is what you get with Morgan Moses. He's not going to be, like you said, an All Pro or Pro Bowl right tackle. He's going to give up a handful of sacks a year. His pass blocking efficiency is not perfect but he rarely has a terrible game just like he rarely has a dominant game and there is definite value in that especially for a team that doesn't have an answer right now at right tackle so being 31 years old being this is going to be his third team and he's already made a decent amount of money I don't know if there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be willing to offer him more than just a one-year deal but he's going to get some type of a deal because teams are desperate for offensive line talent and he's proven that he can still play even at 31 years old now so I do think that he is a legitimate option, but I, I will say that I would be shocked to see the Bengals or any other team giving him anything more than a one-year deal.
0: Yeah, I I could see that potentially happening just because of the age and whatnot, but he may be able to parlay something into, you know, some deal words, maybe he got a, you know, an option year or so, you know, something creative there based on the age. I, I will say, gosh, the Jets, they, I mean, you look at their tackle situation last year. I mean, Fant isn't, fantastic but he had a pretty good year filling in for Becton so I mean you had this guy on the bench to start the year you had Becton you had Fant at the right side and Moses was on the bench Becton gets hurt all of a sudden Fant kicks over to the left and Moses over to the right and they, you know both those guys had pretty good seasons and stayed pretty healthy so and then now you've got questions about Beckton and his his viability with the team because there's some weight issues and all kinds of different things obviously the injury that kept him out that that's a whole separate topic and researching Moses a little bit. You heard, you know, I read a little bit about Beckton, and that's, he was supposed to be out for maybe four to eight weeks. And all of a sudden he's gone for the entire year. Um, so that didn't sit well.
1: Yeah. People. And I think and it's important to note that like Becton and fan were the projected starters and then Moses wasn't signed until July. So he was yeah. available for every team, including the Bengals to sign well into the summer. And, and then the jets ended up giving him like a one year, $4 million deal injury to becton happens they move fan to left tackle and moses starts the entire year right tackle and i think that matters too like like he's old obviously for a tackle he's old but he's durable he's proven to be able to stay healthy all throughout his career in washington and now for a year with new york so yeah I, i do think that he's likely going to hit the market i don't really foresee the jets retaining him and if the Bengals strike out on potential trades for a tackle and just again this tackle market isn't exactly great like I think Moses becomes a legitimate option
0: and at a minimum it's they could they could do a deal like they like the Jets did last year where if the Bengals try and insert a young developing right tackle, maybe they're really high on Deontay Smith a right tackle maybe you know I mean there's all kinds of different things and even if you bring in a Moses as kind of an emergency backup situation that wouldn't help you that to me wouldn't be the ideal though I think if you sign Moses even if it's a cheap deal I think he starts at right tackle for you, and like you said, John, this is why I feel like even though he's not a cut veteran, that the Bengals prefer to not go against their compensatory pick formula. That affordability that you mentioned—that he signed a one-year for four million dollar, you know, one-year four million dollar contract essentially last year—it's that that price tag's not going to go exponentially up, even though he had a, a decent year. Um, I mean, he's he's a year older, so I, I think from an affordability standpoint it just makes a lot of sense even if it's not you know a laramie tunsel and moving joan over and doing all this kind of stuff that may really excite some people um i think this would be a sound and and quietly savvy move for the team
1: 100 percent, and um uh, yeah shout out to joe bradley and brian McHugh in the comments are listening from overseas in uk and scotland but guys it's it's still wednesday in paul brown stadium <laughs> and that's the official time that
0: we're going with the Channel. so yeah, it's still wednesday but- here there you go. Thanks for listening from uh, abroad, though. That's pretty awesome that uh, we've got some u- listeners in Europe. That's pretty awesome.
1: They're saying have 2 two thirty in the morning to listen to us. Like, how crazy? I know.
0: That? I know. That's uh, that's dedication. That's dedication. I we we appreciate stupidity you. maybe, We're but you know, teach <laughs> Um. Well, that's that's the free agent profile. They're talking a little bit about Morgan Moses as a as a potential target for the Bengals now. We've got a draft profile as well for you to close up some things and John kind of back to Sox's question um, about, and it's kind of going the other way with it. I'll repin it here, talking about free agency and mock drafts and whatnot. Do you think the Bengals will sign upgrades on the interior of the offensive line? Well, I don't, maybe Um, I, I hope they get the guy instead of a guy, but one in the draft in, in the interior I went out I went opposite of what Sox was asking I went outside tackle for free agency and I'm going interior offensive line in the draft this week John and one guy that I am I, I like just in terms of what I've watched here but also I think it really plays into the Bengals wheelhouse in terms of where they pick the position this the the multitude of positions this guy plays, but the position he plays that feel that that goes right in their wheelhouse. And then of course uh, the versatility with it, but I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about Kenyon green from Texas A&M, a guy that I think has a lot of talent, a lot of upside and uh, a guy that, like I said, I think, I think the Bengals will fall in love with the versatility. I think the versatility is is huge, huge, huge for the for the Bengals. And speaking of huge, this guy's pretty massive as well. 6'4", <laughs> about 325, 328, depending on who you ask, and moves very well. I will share some – I don't want to get copyright stuff on YouTube, so I'm going to share some tweeted videos and make sure I credit those people there. But this guy, uh, a lot of people like him. Like I said, 6'4", 325, he uh, just finished his junior year. Offensive guard – His best spot is probably uh, left guard, but he has played all over the line, John. And some of these videos will show that he's played right tackle. He's played played everywhere but center, essentially. He's played and started games at those those positions. There's some zone stuff that they run at uh, Texas A&M, RPO stuff, especially when Kellen Mond was there. Um, And then, of course, there's just an overall pro-style offense with um, Jimbo Fisher there. Uh, technique is is pretty sound. The versatility is huge. The Bengals like to kill multiple bo- birds with um, one stone there um, on the offensive line. Just a lot to like about this kid, especially John with the the versatility and the ability potentially to play multiple positions on the offensive line. Again, I and I'll show some clips here in just a second. I think where he's best is at that left guard spot, but I, I think this is a guy, I know there's a lot of talk of Zion Johnson. There's a lot of talk of, linderbaum is, is just the center i know this kid doesn't play center but i i it's kind of to me he's a higher ceiling I mean, do you remember quentin bowling when he came out yeah. at, at georgia he played all over that line and that's that's what this kid did and uh i mean there's some spots where he struggled and played worse at, at other spots but I, I, I like this kid
1: yeah i'll surely have to watch him at some point um but i have heard of his name um just watching the sec in the fall and then uh, at some parts of now draft season, I have heard his name be thrown around in that late first round area projection. I think looking at like Lance, Lance, Airlines write up about him. He's comparing him to the player, Richie Incognito, hopefully not the person. But yeah, right. six, four, three thirty. I mean, that, that that's a guard. Like I, I think, like you said, he played tackle at some point. I think we have a quote here from an anonymous AFC scout. Quote, most of his bad reps were when he was playing tackle this year when guys were hurt. His guard tape is first round for me. And I think that is an interesting topic and in debate as well. Like the Bengals drafted Kevin Zeiler at the end of the first round in 2012. Like they drafted Eric Steinbach, I believe it like the 31st, 31st pick, or maybe it was like the top first, of the second round.
0: First pick of the second round. Yep. Yeah.
1: So the range for the Bengals picking a guard here, it makes total sense. And there might be pushback or, or animosity from the fans. Like, oh, you're going to wait. To find a starting guard for in the draft, like you don't know if this guy is going to be here, you don't know who is going to be available in the draft. It's really risky to play that waiting game, but that's entirely a possibility. Like they, there's a entirely likely scenario that they go out and get like a Bradley Bozeman or a Ryan Jensen at center. They go out and get like a Morgan Moses at tackle. They know we know they like to, they like to pay tackles. They we know that they're at least interested in at least one of those centers. It's entirely possible that they go into the draft at least solving tackle and center for this year and then looking for a guard in the early parts of the draft because there's precedent for them drafting that spot and I think Kenyon Green specifically that kind of prospect makes a lot of sense for them obviously he's played tremendous competition in the SEC seems really pro-ready just he's already built for blocking in the AFC North if you will and I think a lot of things make sense here.
0: All SEC first team all SEC first team all American this uh, this past season second team for both the year prior so he comes with a lot of accolades let's check out some of these uh, clips here and I want to make sure that I credit the folks who supplied them on Twitter I always love when people do some homework for me here this is Russ at Russ NFL Draft. Here he is um, on this play here. Let's let's check him out. He's the left guard, number fifty-five on this one. So watch watch him here. I love I love this. It'll play it on a loop here. If you notice, he kind of sees that the tackle uh, the tackle is like, hey, he's got his man. The center looks like he's having a little trouble. Let me just find contact and knock seventeen <laughs> down to the ground. Um, I, I thought that was kind of. We'll watch it one more time here. I thought that was kind of a, a cool little shot here and. Russell Brown obviously likes him. One more boom. Let me just get that guy out of the way. So I liked I liked that clip there. That was one that I found. This is from Bob Stern uh, Sturm, excuse me, at Sports Sturm. Uh, and that is T U R N. Let me share this one for you here. The, the tweet says, Kenyon Green is ready to start Manana. Yes, he is. And so uh, here he is right here, left guard again. And check it out. Just just drives the guy, and and that's that's one of the things that I think a lot of people like about this kid. And what zero I think in your write up, I read that as well. When he latches on to you, he it, it, he's he's got you. Uh, if he if he uses the right the right technique and he gets on you, it's it's done. Um, and so here is a couple more. This is from, at Mike H Draft, uh, and here he's at left tackle. And you can see here he gets he gets out, and watch him drive this this poor guy, just drive him down the field for probably I mean, twenty yards, fifteen yards.
1: He doesn't quit. Guys yeah. are gonna like that about him.
0: Yeah, I mean here he is again. Just you can kind of see it at the corner and just driving that that smaller player just out of the picture there. So um, that's a good one. And then this one I found just kind of interesting. This shows a little bit of struggle, maybe as the tackle. So when you say tackle, this may be emergency situation only in the NFL. And like you said, I think we're looking guard only here. But just because he has started games and played one, this is from SB Nation Recruiting. I'm going way back in time here. This is him as a high schooler, which by the way, he was still massive as a high schooler, going up against one of my favorite guys in this year's draft in Kayvon, Kavon Thibodeau, we'll turn that down. You can see here, he, he kind of has it, but that's probably a hole in the NFL. Uh, I mean, you, you, got your hand, you got your hands up there and, uh, you know, even Thibodeau's like, what? So just kind of a fun one as they're both in high school uh, coming out. This was back in 2018. Um, but uh, you can see Thibodeau, that's, that's one area where you say, well, I may worry particularly at tackle because Thibodeau is one of the best players in this year's draft as well. And when you see him going up against that, there's a little bit of uh, an issue there, at least in that one rep back in high school. But I've, I stumbled across that one and thought that was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, he's a guard. There's there's no real debate about that. I think the question is, if they're looking to draft him, obviously, if you draft him in the first round, you hope that he starts immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, is there a, in your mind, like, is there like an avenue here where they could like resign? Quinn Spain do a year, maybe get a guy like Andrew Norwell to like a, a, a one year deal to, to to come in and compete and whatnot. Like, do you see a, a situation where Kenyon Green competes for that left guard spot, or do you think like they need to get him out there as soon as possible? And do you think he's like ready to start day one if they if they if they bring him in?
0: I think most of the consensus is that he's ready. Um, I, you know, it's always we always think that with some of these guys and then the, you know, it's debatable depending on how the results go. I think if you're looking at, you know, where he is right now to start at a guard position, as opposed to where Jackson Carmen was last year as a rookie coming in, it's night and day. Uh, I, I feel like he is far more ready to latch on or compete for a starting spot right away uh, as opposed to where Jackson Carmen was last year, or even Deontay Smith was last year trying to get into a guard spot. But, you know, I think, I think while there'd be a little bit of a relief where you say, okay, there's some veterans on this line now. If you went the route that you're talking about, there were if they did select him at 31 overall and he's a backup, he didn't win the spot. I think there would be, I would guess, probably some disappointment uh in the pick because you're picking that guy, hopefully, to be a guy that steps in and, and upgrades your line right away. So, you know, maybe the Bengals, like you said, maybe they go the route of getting another veteran center, maybe another veteran guard a Spain, whoever, then you get a Morgan Moses. And all of a sudden you've got veterans kind of spread out along the line. And now, you know, you look at a right guard spot and you say, maybe this is where that guy goes. You know, you can kind of shake things out from there, or you you know, you figure out a right guard option in free agency, and this is your left guard. There are a lot of different variables here, but the good news is I feel like this, this kid, because of his experience, um, playing multiple positions i think that he could step he he could provide at a minimum heavy heavy competition to start right away at either guard spot
1: yeah you need guys like him dan the man aren't you looking for your first round pick to start your one? well ideally you don't want a lot of your rookies playing because your team is already pretty good but <laughs> yeah. if they pick an offensive lineman in the first round with the current group that they have odds are he's probably in position to start and then brian McHugh again our friend from overseas, the talk is that the Bengals are just going to see who is available at 31. And I would probably say that's going to be the case. I I think I saw someone that I follow on Twitter. He put up a mock and he had the Bengals trading up for Kenyon Green with like the Dallas Cowboys at 24. And that's just not something that we can expect the Bengals to ever do. I think in in this particular draft, in this case, picking 31st, they're in a great spot to potentially trade out of the first round, if if anything, if they do a, a deal. But the positions that are going to be Right for the taking at that spot. I think that lines up really well with, a, with what the Bengals are ultimately going to need like a cornerback or in this case, an offensive guard. So we still have a lot of time left between now and the NFL draft. And we will surely cover more draft prospects with draft profiles like the one that Anthony just did with Kenyon green.
0: Yeah. I, you know, that, that's interesting how you, you talked about trading up. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, if you, if you look at the Kevin Zeitler pick, what did they do that draft? They had David Jacastro sitting right there for him. What they do? They moved back. Yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't move up to get Kevin Zeidler. They moved back and got Kevin Zeidler. So yeah, I don't. I don't know that trading up unless there's someone that just absolutely they are in love with. Uh, I, I just I don't really see it happening. That's just not really in their DNA. But we'll see what happens. Regardless, I uh, we did Morgan Moses as our free agency profile. I think a realistic option for the Bengals and. Kenyon Green, a guy that could upgrade the offensive line pretty early on, I would suspect. John did a great job with his State Your Case talking about the Jesse-based contract situation. And, of course, we ran through all of the different headlines surrounding the team as the combine gets underway. A lot more workout stuff coming now over the next few days. It was interview and soundbite stuff the first two days, and now it's workout time. So let's drop the mic and get out of here. John, what do you have for us on our way out?
1: Oh, man, it's combine week, man. It's the return of the combine. We haven't had a combine since uh, Joe Burrow was asked if he actually wants to play in Cincinnati. So this should be fun. Um, I think workouts start tomorrow with offensive linemen like Kenyon Green and stuff like that. But speaking of Burrow, we haven't really talked about him today. Um, Zach Taylor did say that he is opting to rest his knee. He's playing golf with Devin Booker and Sam Hubbard and his OSU boys, but he's just taking it easy keeping that knee fresh. he's not going to opt for surgery for what is just being called like a knee sprain. I did get an email though from a retired MD who graduated from LSU in 1982. I'm going to keep uh, her name anonymous, but she reached okay. out to me in hopes that I reach out to Joe Burrow's training staff and the Bengals training staff about a potentially, um, let's call it helpful way to rehab an injured knee. Uh, quote, I'm a retired LSU MD class of 1982. I had a hyperextended knee about five months ahead of Joe's original injury, meaning the torn ACL. Of course, I didn't have 800 pounds of players twisting my leg, but I did find that rest, rehab, and most importantly, in all caps, injections of dehydrated placental tissue and amniotic fluid did more for me than anything, in all caps. The trade name that was given to me was AmnioFix. So before I forward this to Nick Cosger or anyone in the Bengals, does anyone in the comment section know if this is actually legit? I would like to believe this woman. I think she is a legitimate uh, doctor or retired doctor. But before I make a fool of myself with the Bengals front office, I would like confirmation that this is actually something worthwhile. So if anyone in the comments wants to reach out to me and confirm this email I was given, that would be very helpful. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a dummy. So I wish I could, uh, I wish I could, tell you um <laughs> i could i wish i could tell you what what i would yeah I, I don't have any thoughts on that unfortunately i am not a scientific mind and uh i i don't want to misquote or say anything like that but i know that there's if i remember correctly though there was an injury that the late great kobe bryant suffered i think it was a, a knee injury or something like that and he was going this was years ago though um he was going like to, I want to say, Sweden or uh, some of these Scandinavian countries to have some form of a uh, an infusion or some sort of a treatment. If I remember correctly, I don't want to. Yeah, his,
1: his wife is Swedish, right? I yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I can't. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he went abroad for some of this kind of uh, different treatment, alternative treatments and stuff. So I, I don't know if this is similar to what. Um, what you're talking about, but I remember because that was all over the radio out here in LA when he, when he was going out out there and doing all that. So maybe that's kind of in the same vein there. Um, I don't have too much. I did get a a question, John, and I just want to quickly get your thoughts for it. I guess this is kind of final thought because I truly don't really know where I stand on it. Uh, I think it was from our buddy, Tommy Williams, who I had the pleasure of uh, meeting week one at Bengal Jim's tailgate. Great guy. he, uh, every once in a while, shoots me a little Facebook message, and late today, he shot me a Facebook message talking about, you know, why why are we ta- still talking about overtime rules? Why are we talking about all this kind of stuff? It just feels like the the losing team, the team that gets shafted or whatever, is the one that complains, and no one else seems to agree with them and whatnot. Why don't we, you know? So I, it's it's funny because if we were if we were the Buffalo Bills, if we were following and talking about the Buffalo Bills, we would probably have a different mindset about this that or maybe even the chiefs based on the what happened in the in the championship game so I'm, i i don't know i'd like to get just quickly your thoughts i know we're running a little long but i mean do you think they should change some of this stuff i mean obviously playoffs are playoffs and you can't really tweet that but uh i don't
1: know i don't think they should i i think the sample size for the playoff games is too small to make a definitive answer of course it's going to get skewed when you have great quarterbacks and if the if one great quarterback gets the ball first odds are that's going to end up in the touchdown that skewed everyone's perception. But if you look at the totality of the results of the current overtime structure, it doesn't always end on the first possession, but no one cares about the regular season. When you have two crappy quarterbacks, they only care about when it's Patrick Mahomes versus Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. We might see more of those instances in the coming years. I also think overtime has just been really frequent in at least this past year. And I don't know yeah. if that's always going to be the case, but, if, if it were up to me, I would hold strong and maintain the same overtime rules. I think just plain defense matters, and it shouldn't come down. like You shouldn't just blame the coin for you not being able to stop a team from going 80 yards. But I, I do think that there is just enough steam on this to actually make some type of a move here. And, and I think it'll be met with a resounding consensus approval, but I, I don't think it's the biggest issue that they have. And I think the biggest issue that they have they're not going to deal with and that's taunting. And I think they're already said that they're going to stick with the current rules there. So when you get, we got to pick our battles a little bit better here.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't love the overtime rules, um, but I do, I I do like that they altered them a little while ago to at least give both teams some form of an opportunity to, to have the ball. um, Whereas that was kind of not necessarily the case. So um, yeah, I mean, and again, playoffs are what they are and you know, yeah, There's no ties there. So, I mean, <laughs> that's the one
1: thing. That's what we should be fighting for. No freak, no more ties anymore in the yeah. regular season. Just get rid yeah. of them.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you on that one. hundred percent. Anyway, thanks, Tommy, for the question. Always good to hear from you, my man. And John, always good to talk to you and talk some Cincinnati Bengals, NFL draft, free agency. All of that we will be bringing you more of that in the coming days and weeks. We'll be bringing you more combine wrap ups listener questions and fan Friday stuff. We'll be bringing you happening headlines, Bengal bios, all kinds of different stuff coming at you on the channel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in live. Thanks for listening after the fact for John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Take it easy. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will see you soon.